Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Dave Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. This is our scripture study podcast. We moved through the New Testament this year. Um, It's a good book. (laughs) We're just about to finish the Gospels, which have been amazing. This is the last of the Gospels. And then we're going to dive into the second half of the New Testament, which we also just love. I know, but you should be a little bit sad that we're done with the Gospels because... Oh, they're so good. I actually don't think you can enjoy the second half of the New Testament without reading the Gospels. In fact, maybe no other book of Scripture because you're just kind of people. It's all Scripture is the stories of God's dealing with people. But you really learn to understand and appreciate and see, you know, in color you know, what the character of God is in the Gospels. And don't you think this is true? We just barely got home from a trip to Israel. We landed yesterday. So if we look like we have jet lag, we probably do. (laughs) And you leave that land. And like last night, I laid in my bed and just went through all the pictures of that land. And it like just grabs your heart. And as I was doing that, as I was going through, it reminded me of this that I keep right in my bedroom, which I just gather things. Every time I go to Israel, I just gather things from Israel. Look, hold some, because it's just so fun to think. And if you're listening to the podcast, she's holding this big jar that's just full of... That's your favorite thing. It is, Um, this thing. Yeah, the yarmulke from the Western Wall, and it's got... um, I've got some sand from the beach in Magdala that I love, and rocks from everywhere. There's a a piece of wood from Mount Carmel, because that's one of my favorite places to visit. That like, when I go through and start pulling things out of here, it's just memories come. Doesn't that happen Mm -hmm. for you too? Mm -hmm. That you're every single thing you're like, oh, I remember this, I remember this. And it makes me want to do this at the end of the gospels, this same exact thing. Yeah. Where you're like, I just want to flip through instead of the pictures. Um, or go put my hand in the jar and start pulling out rocks. I just want to flip through the pages of scripture and think, what are my memories from this time through the well, Gospels? What do I want to like hold on to? It made me think about that at the end of every night that we would gather at dinner time, and Jack came with me, my Jack, and then a bunch of Emily's nephews came, and Grace and Emily's dad, and we would go out to dinner at nighttime, and the question would be, what was what was your best spot today? Like where what spot really struck your heart? And it was cool to hear everybody's different answer. And it's always different. Yeah, right. No one had the same answer. No, everyone had a different answer, but then when everyone else said their answer, everyone else was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I loved that or whatever. And it's kind of neat to do that. And in fact, the journal page that we'll get to in just a minute kind of gives you a chance to do that, to do the same thing. This is like Jesus is about to like fly up into heaven the ascension is the fancy bible word for it and and it's like oh man you get to kind of look back on all the when we started in what month did we start in january with christmas you know and now we're here and yes and And we're just gone yeah 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 i love a friend of mine 
sent me an email the other day from a friend of his. That's like one of those stories where you just sell fake. It's not real. It's a bark. Sell real. Who said one of their favorite things to do when they're trying to study the character of Christ or the attributes of Christ is to read the four gospels and then third Nephi, which I had never thought of doing that before. And how it just gives you like this expanded view of while Jesus was in mortality, while he was living on earth and and here. And I think there's power in that for the fact that we actually get to see him interact personally, like with encounters that happened physically on earth, Mm -hmm. both within the New Testament, but also in the Book of Mormon, which then allows us to maybe have a better idea of how he might interact with us. Mm -hmm. You know, even, even though it's a little bit removed, we should still plan we would be having those personal encounters and that he would touch us and bless us and help us the same way he did back then. That's his character. That's who he is. So there's power, I think, in this four gospel journey, but maybe even adding on that third Nephi and just what do we learn um, that we might believe? That, that we might have this deeper and better understanding. Yeah, and this is a John, this is a line from the book of John 20, one of the chapters that we're in that you might believe. And he says that, he's like, I wrote all these stories down for this reason, that you might believe in him, that you would choose to listen to him, that you would choose to look to him, and eventually that you would choose to follow him and be his disciples. But that discipleship journey has to begin with, learning who he is. What is his heart like? Like, why do you want to follow and become like somebody that you don't know, you know? And so it's, I think it's just really important. And why am I going to believe in him? Like I have a choice and who I'm going to love. Like humans are people who are designed to love. And the question is who or what are you going to love? And the stories laid out in the gospel give you just a picture of who Jesus is that you might believe, that you might choose to love him and follow him. Yeah, which I love. So we're going to finish with just a few of these stories today and then talk a little bit about what does the journey look like going forward? Because you you might call this the end because it's the end of the gospels, or you might call it the beginning because it is the beginning of what Christian Christianity will look like for all of us going forward. Right. So it's interesting because, so if, when you read the book of John, you have to kind of, um, John 20 ends almost, if you read the very last verses of John 20, you feel like the book ends. And many other signs did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. The end. Like it just sums <laughs> it, which is why a lot of like New Testament scholars think John 21 was added in later. Like a, almost like a, oh, P.S. Yeah. Let's add this in because John 20 ends like just like oh, the story ends. It's like really beautiful, tied up the bow and stuff, which if it did, and that was kind of like John's arc, like it was like, this is going to be the climax of the book. It's interesting that the story that ends up being the climax of the whole book is the story of Thomas. And and it's like, wait, wait, wait a second. And if you know that story, you know, of Thomas and, and his encounter with Jesus after the resurrection, you'd be like, oh, wait, I don't know if I would have picked that story as the one that it ends up like climaxing 
And, and he has a nickname, Thomas does, and a lot of people call him Doubting Thomas, which makes me a little bit sad. We've done this verse already, but can we just jump back to John eleven sixteen 16, when Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem and yes. Thomas says this. Then Thomas, which is called Didymus, um, un- said Thomas unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And one better name than maybe Doubting Thomas is how about like Brave Thomas or like Lionheart Thomas or like he's just like, we're going to go with you and we're going to die with you. That's what's going to happen. And then you get to John 20 after the resurrection and you have this story of all the rest of the disciples are all gathered together and Thomas for some reason isn't there. We're not sure why he's not there. He doesn't say, but he's not there. Dinner. Yeah, whenever. And it's like, he's just like, and, and he gets back and everybody's like so excited. And you like, won't believe what happened while you were gone. Yeah. And it's just like, what? Like, I was on my way. So could he have waited 10 minutes or 20 minutes or however long that was? And I always just think through like what, as everyone else is like, oh, you know, you have those times when everybody's like gone on a trip together and they start talking about all, how, all their memories and they're laughing with their inside jokes. And you're sort of like, <laughs> like laughing along with them, but you like, you are you're not in, you're not in on it. And this is like the greatest moment in the history of the world. And he got left out and he got forgotten. And you, and you can't help but think, what, what did he think? Like, why, why did, why did I get overlooked? Like, how come everybody else got a visit? I'm like, I'm like the only one that I did, you know? And it's one thing if one person got it and everybody else like heard from that one person. Yeah. But it's backwards. Yeah, everybody else did. And he's sort of like, well, he didn't he didn't come see me, you know? And he and he's in that place for eight days, it says. That for eight days, but he says to all the disciples, like, if I except I see in his hands the prints of the nails and put my finger in in into the print, I will not believe. Like I, I just I can't. I and, can't do it. And you hear the like brokenness and bitterness and just that, like, you know that feeling when you've been left out or left behind or you're not part of, like, I love that what we get to see and hear is not, like, masked at all. It is unmasked. We get to see Thomas not at his best. Right. Where he's like, I, I won't believe. Like, you can all tell me that that's what happened for you, but unless I experience it for myself, I have too much... Not only do I have doubt, but I'm sad. I wasn't yeah, yeah. I'm bitter that I missed out on that part. And you're all talking about this amazing thing. And that was not my experience. And like, I love that nobody tries to paint a prettier picture than Thomas figuring it out. Yeah. In fact, if you can see the, the if you're watching this, you can see it. This is the same guy who designed the Christus statue has, you know, all of the Quorum of the Twelve and they're in the Rome Visitor's Temple also and go look that up if you if you want to see a picture of this but if you can see it it says this picture the statue of thomas is this one and he's sort of got like his hand up to his face just sort of like or whatever and almost like i love the honesty of that face which is why i wanted to rename him honest thomas where it's just like hey at some points in your life you have all the bravery and the courage in the world and other spots in your journey, you have spot times where Thomas said re- feel, felt left out and forgotten and a little bit bitter and said, well, I just don't think I can believe. I, don't, I just don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can. 
And and bitterness and left outness <laughs> and forgottenness are really loud emotions. Yes. And they so and they crowd a heart. And there isn't room in that heart, you know, for him to believe. I did this devotional once. I was in Rome for HXP, like looking at a trip. And the mission president said, will you do a devotional for our missionaries at the Rome Temple Visitor Center? And I was like, duh. Like, that's so awesome to do. And so before I was sitting in that, there's just this, like, rotunda where the Christus is and all those statues. And I just sort of prayed, um, what what should I say? You know, it's going to be in, like, an hour from now. And I, like opened up my eyes right after I prayed and the sun came through the window and beamed right on Thomas. Like it was like a spotlight on Thomas. And I remember saying like mumbling to myself, well, that was fast. You know, <laughs> I was like, usually I have to like home and haul over and think like, what should I? And it was so funny. It was like on Thomas. And I thought about how neat that was that he was one of the 12 and inside Jesus's inner circle, and as you move into Acts, he'll just continue to like be a great leader in in the church. And he, um, the Thorvinson, whatever you know, the artist, artist, I can't, yeah, um, put him with a, a square and art because he has tradition says he was a church builder. And I like to think of not necessarily like architecture, but just like he was a builder and a you know and a gatherer of, of people. And that Jesus is going to call somebody who was a doubter. And he's going to use Peter, who was a denier. And he's going to use, you know, yeah. Mary, who had devils. And he, you know, you know what I mean? He's going to use these people to be his witnesses and to tell the story moving forward. And I love, and I think we don't, I think we forget this. I was talking to one of Grace's friends the other day, who's kind of been going through this faith wrestle, is what he's been having. And as I was talking to him, I was like, I actually love people like you so much. I love people who want to ask the deep questions because it seems like it in the place of deepest asking is where the believing begins. Yeah. And I love that he was like, I, I'm going to go to the place that really makes me have to start thinking this through and then come up from there. But I just think there's something really powerful in that. And what you bring to the table, if you've been one of those people, what you bring to the table now as a witness is is so powerful because of the wrestling. Yeah. And I just think it's interesting. It's just like, listen, you are one of his disciples still and in a wrestle at the same time. Um, his name is Didymus. They keep bringing that up. That's a Greek word that means the twin. So he may have actually been a twin with somebody. But sometimes I think about like, I kind of have twins even inside me. You know? You know, I have like that really believing, courageous side. And I also have that skeptical, doubting side in me too. And every disciple does, you know? And it's, and it you get, like, I like how you said, this is unmasked. And and I also love this part that right after that line, I, unless I see this, I will not believe. That's verse 25. And then 26, it says, eight days again, the disciples were within and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus and he comes to Thomas and he says, we'll reach hither your finger then and behold the hands and, and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but be believing. And that the Jesus like met him in his, like mm. met him in his doubt. And he just said, okay, then let's, uh, then, then touch the hands then, yeah. and be now, believing. Yeah, he doesn't gloss over it. Right. And I love when you just put those two lines together that you read um, where it says, unless I, except I do this, I will not believe. And I always love to put right after that, then came Jesus. Yeah. 
You know, in that moment where some people might be like, well, then choose to not believe. And that's the end of your belief story. But I love it. it when he says out loud, I will not believe the very next thing that happens is Jesus came. Jesus came. Yeah. And, and not only this, he doesn't ignore Thomas's doubt. Mm-hmm. He doesn't ignore the questions. He doesn't say like, Thomas, you should never have asked that. He's like, okay, I heard you. You want to touch my hands? Here, touch. You want to see in the wound in my side? You want to feel it? Like he takes time to go through Thomas's doubt and let it turn to belief. And don't you just think, should we be better at that? Should we be better at sitting with people in their doubt? Yeah. And letting them experience um, him. Right. That's what they, they don't necessarily need answers to their questions. They just need to experience him. Yeah. And it's neat that, again, here's like the the story culminates with this one person who says, I have a really hard time believing this story. And and Thomas almost can become those people's like, mm. uh, what do you, mascot, disciple or something. You know, one of my kids kind of has a, is, is like a little bit more like this. And they want to say, that's okay. There's actually room for you in the room. Yeah. That's why I thought that was cool. That spotlight came through and yes. showed on Thomas, one of the 12. Yeah. He's there as one of them. And it's just like, oh yeah. Like there's room for people who struggle with belief inside yeah. the gospel of Jesus Yeah, Christ. in the kingdom. Yeah. Okay. This next story is at the end of the book of Luke. And again, you have other disciples who, who are going to, kind of reminds you a little bit of Thomas as these two and they're walking on their way to this city that's called Emmaus and it's sort of near Jerusalem. Um, we have a good friend who lives over there and she's planning a girls camp where all the girls are going to take the walk to Emmaus. And I'm like, why did we not get invited? Um, <laughs> but the story starts as they're walking and they're going down the road and Jesus actually meets them and they don't realize that it is Jesus who's there. And they're going along and they he kind of just says like, hey, what's going on? Why are you?" Um, why are you so sad? Because they're kind of mopey, I guess, in their walk. And they said, are you like, have you not been in Jerusalem the last couple of days? Like a lot has happened. And there's this guy, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. And then in verse 19, they, they say a, phrase, a couple of phrases like this, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in God. And it's just interesting. I was like, oh, why did you decide to use that past tense? word you know and that's easy for me to say on on my side of the resurrection you know but it's just like there was that idea of like is the story over you know are we done yes did we have our good run for three years and now this is it you know it yeah it's so interesting because we know it's going to be jesus reading into it and again i want to go back to that same thing with thomas where he was like let me just sit with you in your doubt Mm -hmm. he could have so easily walked up and been like you guys is it me yeah. Why are you stop crying? Everything's yeah. gonna be fine. But there's that line where he's like, Why are you walk and are sad? That he's like, let me sit with you also in this. Like yeah. I can sit in doubt and I can sit in grief and in sadness. And like he's the one who can fix doubt and sadness and grief. And I'm it's so intriguing to me that he's like, Let me just sit with you in this for a minute. Yeah. Or we try and problem solve, which is always my first nature that he's like let me sit with you yeah. in this and and tell me what you're feeling like tell me where you're coming from how can i meet you where you are as you are if i don't actually know where you are yeah yeah 
And when they tell the story of like that he died in verse 20, he was condemned to death and they crucified him. And then this is an interesting line. We trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And that line where they, it's like, they're saying like, we thought he was the one, like we, we, we were just convinced that he actually was the, the redeemer. And, and I just hear in my own life and other people like lines like this, where people are just like, I hoped it was going to be like this, or I thought it was going to be a little bit different. I thought I'd be married now. I thought my parents were supposed to, I thought this opportunity was the right one. I just, and then all of a sudden there's this disappointment. They're just like, I thought it was supposed to be him. And again, he didn't let you down. What let you down was your expectation of how he would do it Yeah, is what actually let you down. And they're going to learn that. And, and we picked that word, by the way, for our poster this week, you know, and her name of Jesus, which is Redeemer. Um, that remember everybody back then had this certain expectation of how he would redeem mm-hmm. and how he, that word means to ransom, to deliver, to release, to redeem, to rescue that. This we we had in our mind that this is the way Jesus does it. And it didn't happen that way. And it's so interesting because the Hebrew translation of this word um, is actually a word that means to save, rescue, or deliver by any means. Mm-hmm. That's the Hebrew. We picked the Greek for these posters. But I love that thought that God was like, you need to keep in mind when you're using the word redeemer, this might not actually happen the way you've planned it out to happen because it could happen by any means. Right. And so it, so as you w- keep following that story along, they're telling the story and, and then he just says like, oh, um, he, he says, oh, you slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Uh, and then he opens up the scriptures in 27, starting with Moses and the prophets and he, and he expounds unto them all the scriptures concerning himself. And they get to this village, it says, where they were going. And he made as though he would have gone further. And I, I think that's interesting that Jesus is like, he was ready to keep going with them. But maybe they weren't quite ready yeah. yet. And he's yeah. just like, okay, if you want to stop right here, then if you need a break, okay, we can pause a little bit. And they sit down for a meal. And he says he takes bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gave it to them. And then 31, it says, and their eyes were open and they knew him. And then all of a sudden he disappeared, which is crazy. Um, but then this line in 32, and they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And I love thinking about this story that it actually takes them looking back to realize that he had been there all along. Like all through this story, Jesus was with them and he was working with them and he was listening to them and he was healing their hearts and he was helping them believe, but they didn't recognize it until they had a chance to look back on the story. And I think that is really important for us as disciples that they're, again, they've just gone through a major tragedy and um, and they're in the spot of disappointment and those are really loud emotions and there's not maybe room in their heart to believe, but as they looked back, they realized, oh, he was actually there all along. And I think that's a helpful practice yeah. for disciples to take time to look back on experiences and see it there. Yeah. And now you're making my mind have the most interesting thought, which I'm going to keep you in suspense for one second, because 
It actually is so awesome what is happening here that I've never realized before until right now while we're reading, but I'm going to take you in here before we talk about it because then another person who's going to have an experience is Mary, and we love this story of Mary's. We're going to go into John, and it's going to be chapter 20 again, and they come, and um, they're going to come early in the morning to the sepulcher, and I love this part of Mary that I think we learned from her, that in her grief, that morning when she woke up, and think about how you handle grief. Like some people might have just stayed in bed all day and never come out. I have had those days before. Or um, you might have thought to like gather with everyone else who's grieving. Sometimes that's what brings comfort. And I find it so interesting that for her, she was like, I just have to go to the place where I saw him last. That's where to, to that's where I'm going to go to grieve is to the place where he is. And when she gets there and then the doors open and, and she's like, wait a minute, I came here expecting to, to find like relief in the fact that he's right here and I could commune with him here. And now he's not even here, which almost like makes the grief worse. Yeah. And then you remember that part in 13 um, when she says... Except you forgot the best part when she goes and gets Peter and John. Okay, yeah. Should we talk yes, about that part? They, you tell that part because it's your favorite. This part okay. so much that they run both together, it says. And John's writing it and he calls himself the other disciple or the one Jesus loves. Like that's the name he gives himself. But it says, and they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. Like that, this is the resurrection story. This is like the what makes Christians Christians. And this has nothing, this detail has nothing to do with whether Jesus is Savior and Redeemer of the world. But I love that John writes it. He's just like, I won. And I beat him. <laughs> I, I, I beat him in the sepulcher. It's like, <laughs> awesome. So we love that part. And there's some of the best paintings in the world of those two running to that tomb. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, just that, like, look on their face of, like, it, could this be, like, could this be real? Yeah. And then they leave to go back to talk to everyone else about it. And Mary's there. And and um, she turns herself and she sees Jesus standing and she doesn't know that it's Jesus. And Jesus says to her in 15, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? There's this one line I love. She's supposing him to be the gardener. And I just want to think about that for a minute. Because the last time Mary saw Jesus was on the cross. And um, and in that moment, he was the Savior. That's who he was. That's the picture that is painted of him, which is rescuer and deliverer and healer of wounds. And that promise of salvation that is just so clearly marked by the victory of the cross. Um, he was savior in that moment. But I love that on this morning, immediately her mind is like, I think he's the gardener. And this is why, because he actually is. And my mind wants to think about what does a gardener do? And um, he provides growth and increase and transformation. And this becomes the story of exaltation. It's that grace that now is going to come and make us to become. Um, the cross helps us to overcome. But this gardener, this risen Christ, 
is going to help us to become something. And I just, I think it's so awesome when John is like, she thought he was the gardener because in my mind, I'm like, oh, he is. Yeah. That's actually true. And how neat that is, as you move into like the second half of the New Testament is really like the initial story that all the apostles are going to tell is Jesus, you know, suffered on the cross, died and overcame death and sin. And the victory has been won. That's the initial message. And then their message right after that is, okay, now he'll nurture you and help you to grow and to transform you and increase your capacity. And it's going to be this, this becoming that is the second half of this story, which I I think there's so much just in that one verse. Um, But then um, she says, tell me where you've taken him and I will take him away and Then Jesus saith unto her in verse 16, Mary. And it's as soon as he says her name that um, then she turns herself and says Rabboni, which is to say master. And she knows who he is. Okay, now this is what my brain is thinking right now. Think how interesting this is. He could have just waited at the tomb for everybody to come. And when they came, he could have been like, go get all the apostles and bring them here. Mary, go get my mom. Go get everybody bring them back. I'm just going to stand here and wait until you're all here. So I can tell you like it worked. I rose again, but it's so interesting. That's not what happened. He met two people on the road to Emmaus and how did they figure out it was him? What was their encounter through scripture? Mm -hmm. He met Thomas in his doubt and how that encounter for him was being able to touch and feel and experience the atonement of Jesus Christ, like literally experience it. And that's how he came to know. And for Mary, it was at the tomb. That was her encounter. And it was him calling her name that she was like, oh, now I know. And now don't you want to go through every person and be like, okay, why did he have one-on-one encounters? He could have gathered the whole group and just been like, here's what happened. Here's what's happening next. But for some reason, everyone has this individual experience. Yeah. That's like suited. Suited to yeah. their particulars and conditions in that moment. Are you in a place of doubt? Then your encounter is going to be that. Are you weeping? Then your encounter will have to do with that. Are you walking and you're sad? Here, let me come into that part of your story. And I think there's a really important like understanding here. That he's going to meet each of us as he witnesses who he is as the Redeemer. He's going to meet us in our story, whatever it is. And our encounter will be suited to our story. Do you think that's true? Oh, sure. I think that's. And then I was just thinking about John's. Because John says he walks into the empty tomb, sees the napkin laying there, and it says, and he believed. Like, John doesn't even see him before. Like, that's his personal work. You know, just like, oh, all I needed to see was that. And there's something about it suited to what he would see and understand to know, oh. Yes. You told me this would happen, and I believe you. I, I just put the pieces together. Yeah. And, you know. Yes. That you love that it's so individual, even at the very end. Right. It's still so individual. Which, which when I did that little devotional, and that the spotlight came on Thomas, it made me look at the rest of them and think that same thing. Mm. Or it's just like, oh, if you're a little bit like um, 
uh, outspoken and ambitious, there's a place for you in yes. the kingdom. There's him. If you're if you're a little bit on the doubting side, there's side. There's a place for you in the the question asker guy. There's a place for you in the kingdom. If you're a little bit, you know, uh, rash sometimes. There's a you know you just look yes. at everybody's like story and you just see. Like all the statues are all like white marble. So it makes it look like, oh, there's a cookie cutter approach to discipleship Mm -hmm. and kingdom life. But that's actually not true at all. That's just the only material that looked pretty enough for the sculptor. So don't get tricked by that. You know, it's neat to see so many different stories of these witnesses to see like, oh. And their encounters. They're all so different. Right. Um, And we love... At the very end, John chapter 21, this is probably one of our favorite chapters in scripture for so many reasons. We could teach this one chapter for four hours, but we're just going to pull out one part that we love. And this is what happens in this story. And I love that it also is so human. It's so like the apostles that had all these moments that even had these encounters. And then they're like, okay, well, now that was the best three years. Yeah. You know, it's like graduating from high school. That was a really good time. We look at the photographs. We look at the memories. It was so good. But now what do we do with the rest of our life? And Peter's first inclination is we just have to go back to what we know. And that's feeding our families. And we're fishermen. And so this was like a really great chapter in our book. But now we go back to fishing. Yeah. And they all get out there and they're fishing and they fish all through the night and they don't catch anything. When morning comes, Jesus stands on the shore, but nobody knows it's Jesus, which becomes an important part of this story. Did you put a picture in? Yeah. And um, nobody knows that it's Jesus. And then he yells out to them, have you caught anything? And they say no. And then he says, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you will find. And I can't help but go back three years earlier, to a night of no fishing. And the same people in the same boat and a guy standing on the shore that is like, did you catch anything? And, you know, this just the thought of like, and when he's like, put your nets on the other side, how many of them are like, oh, wait a minute. This like feels super yeah. familiar, you know? I love that part. And then they can't even draw them in because of the multitude of fishes. And you love the the disciple whom Jesus loved. Remember the one who only needed a napkin says to Peter, it is the Lord. Like it has to be. And you love that Peter, as soon as he hears it's the Lord, girds his fisher's coat unto him and casts himself into the sea and just starts swimming. Like, I love that he's like, I know what to do when I see Jesus get out of the boat. That's the lesson that I have learned. And he just starts swimming and Everyone else who's more responsible is bringing the boat to the shore with all the fishes with them. And they get up there and um, they, um, at verse nine, as soon as they come to land, they see a fire of coals and fish laid and bread. And, and he says, bring up the fish that you caught. And then verse 11 is such an interesting verse that happens because it says this, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes and 150 and three and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. And it's interesting um, that someone counted the fish. Like, why? Yeah. Why did they count the fish? And also that they didn't say in here, and there was like 150. Or there was just under 200 fishermen you know are going to exaggerate. So they are going to like be like, 
Well, it's more than 150 by three. So what's that? Which is less than 200. And um, why? Why 153? And we were wondering this at one point. And we were in Israel. We were actually teaching on the beach, on the shore of Galilee, this story. And our good friend, Elon, who is an Israeli guide, he's Jewish. And he was listening to us teach. And he said, I have something that I... I could add here. And so we were like, okay, if you could see the document in my notes that has Elon's name at the top of it and how many pages of things Elon has taught us. And this is one of my most favorite because he started reminding us how you can use um, numbers to portray words in Hebrew. That's just really normal. Um, that Like how we would go through and we would be like A, B, C, D, E, in Hebrew, they also would be like, oh, you can use a one for A, a two for B, a three for C. You could do that. And then you can add up those numbers if you want to. And so if you were to add up the numbers, it would count as this. And he had said to us, so if I say four, I could be talking about the letter D in the American alphabet if you wanted to do that, because D is the fourth um, letter of the alphabet. So I could do that. But I also could say to you, um, the word for father in Hebrew is Abba. And so you would say the A would be one, the Bs would be two, the other A would be one, that would equal four. The number four can actually equal father. That would be true, he was telling us. And so he said, let me tell you about the numbers one, five, three in Hebrew. And he said, you could, you could write those down, one, five, three, and it could be a sentence. Or it could be a word. And in Hebrew, and I've told you this a million times before, every word can have 20 different meanings. And so he said, this, this could be true or it may not be true. And when you Google this after, there will be some people who are like, yeah, this is this is what it could mean. And some people will be like, no, that is not what it means. And I'm just going to tell you this. I love Elon. When I was standing on the beach that day, and he started pulling out all of his charts with numbers and letters. And he started explaining this to me. I was like, I'm going to love this story for the entire rest of my life because I love him. He said, one option for the numbers 153 is to spell out the sentence, I am the Lord. And it's because those numbers 153 can be Anai Elohim. That's what they could spell out. By number, it would add up to one. Five, three. And he said, I actually think there's some merit in this in your scripture because he said, read the verse that comes right after that one, five, three. It says this, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes and 153. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. And then in verse 12, Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. And after that happened, none of the disciples asked him, who art thou? because they knew it was the Lord. And Elon said, I think it was because when they said 153, it was him saying, I am the Lord. It's me. Yeah. I'm here again. And as we sat there and listened to that, I had a dear friend on the trip with me. And I had said, this story makes me want to count my 153 moments in my life, my 153 moments, those moments where it is like the fingerprint of the Lord on that miracle, on that thing 
that happened right then when he was like, throw the nets out. And then they bring him in and there's too many. And, and John's like, I think it's the Lord. And Peter swims in and they pull the fish up and they count them out. And there's 153. And all of them are like, it's the Lord. It yeah. has to be. Yeah. And it's kind of this idea of, well, you see like a lot of those miracles are repeat ones. Yes. It's almost like a message of like, listen, the miracles aren't over. You're going yes. to, you're going to keep seeing them happen. So keep counting them. Yes. Like keep watching yeah, for them. Count because, the fish. Right. Somebody right. needs to count the fish. That's, um, that's how you're going to recognize and to count that miracle. And when I got home, my cute friend, um, came over to my house and she said, I gathered so many beads from Israel while we were gone. And she said, I put on yours one silver bead and three silver beads and five silver beads because I want you to count the fish. This one, five, three bracelet. I want you to count the fish. And we came home and we were like, don't you want to wear a bracelet of the miracle you need right now in your life? Like, don't you want that being able to just like, I got to hold on to what I learned from John 21. I've got to hold on to the story of the woman who touched Christ's rope. I want to hold on to the man that he washed his eyes with mud and he could finally see in his life. I want to hold on to the water changing to wine and the fact that Jesus can change everything he touches. I want to hold on to the fact that after three days, he rose again and and to just start thinking, what's the reminder you need because, right now in your life? Because it didn't just happen there. And it seems to be like that was his message, right? Yes, it happened at the wedding in Cana. Yes, it happened at Bethesda. Yes, it happened at the tomb. Yes, it happened at the pool of Shiloh. But they're not over. Yes. They're still happening. Yeah. The miracles are still I'm still a God of miracles. Which reminds me so much when my cute friend Chris was dying and I walked into her home the Thursday that she would pass away. And um, actually, no, it was two days before that because I walked into her home and she could still talk to me. And I remember opening her front door and thinking there will be no more miracles. Well, she had no idea I had thought that when I walked in the door, but I just knew the signs were there. Yeah. This was the end. You know, it, it was we're about to seal the tomb. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it felt like. And I walked in and sat on her corner of her bed and I was kind of trying to catch my emotions because I was trying to be super like positive when I was there at her house. And I sat down, I told her it was me. And then I sat down and I was just trying to like gather myself. And she said, without knowing anything, the miracles only get better. Mm. That was her first words to me on that day. And and I love that at the end of the Gospels, if we were to think that was it, then we would be so mistaken because the miracles only get better. And, and what a sad people we'd be. Yes, we would be so sad. And to think ended. that women can still touch the hem of his robe and and we can still have those experiences where everything he touches he changes and we can have those moments of we just, Lord, will you touch my eyes so I can see this in a different way and with a different perspective that I won't be blind in this thing that's going on. And, and he can still speak peace to like the wild storms in us, you yes. know, like in calm and, and just the, the promise of, you know, the empty tomb, like Mary first saw it and she was like, I see despair right here. 
And then he helped her see that, no, that's actually hope. That's actually something different. There's life, you know? That we can like cling to those miracles we've fallen in love with, but we can also seek and expect them to come true in our life still today. And don't be sad that David and I came home from Israel and started sitting at the table and putting beads together of all the miracles that we just want to wear on our arms of, um, you know, what about the five porches at Bethesda? What about the man who was made whole? And and each of these stories that you're like, oh, that's the miracle I need right now. That's the miracle I'm praying for right now. And and maybe, spoiler alert, those bracelets will eventually make themselves into a real live, um, something you could wear on your arm one day. Yeah, that's a sneak peek, everybody. So we're, uh, they're in the works, we should say. Yeah, and I love as you end up these stories, um, this this moment of like taking your time to go through and say, okay, who is this Jesus I've come to know? And, and what do I want to remember? And what have I gathered of him that I want to keep? We love it. The very end of each of the writers' stories, they're like witnesses. They each give a call out. Every single one of them gives a call out. And, and you might think this is the end, but actually the story continues. It moves forward. And, and each of these um men that we've come to love and admire is going to give us a call. Every one of them, Matthew will, and Mark will, and Luke will, and John will of, okay, now that I've told you the story from my point of view, this is what I want you to remember. And the other, now that I've told you the story, this is what I want you to remember. And Matthew, let's start with Matthew because he does a couple things that we just love. And as you're teaching this, and as you are summing the gospels up, these are things you might do within your family or within your Sunday school class or your youth groups or your gospel doctrine classes to talk about how do you take the invitation, the final invitation each of these men gives. And we love Matthews. Yeah. And I'm just noticing what he says in here, where he says the 11 disciples in 16 went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I think it's fun. It's just throwing us in there. It's just like, that's okay. The whole crew, but that line right there where he just says he went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them, that he'd given them this like meeting spot where he'd said like, okay, I'm going to go to Galilee and I'm going to go and we're going to meet there. And then I'm going to go to our mountain, our favorite spot on the mountain, and then go meet me right there also. And don't you just want to think it maybe happened the night of Gethsemane? That's what my brain wants to go to, that he's like, this is what's going to happen. And the stones are going to fall down and all these things in three days and this and you guys and don't fall into temptation and everybody try and pray and all these things. And he's like, okay, when it's all said and done, meet at our favorite mountain, yeah. Galilee. That's the right thing to do. Like there's a lot is going to go on right now, but the thing for you to do is just go to the mountain that I'm telling you about. Don't you just, I love to read it like that. Yeah. And they were like, well, he said, go to that mountain. So yeah. And then they all showed up. They all came, like everybody showed up at that spot. They knew where to go and where, and where to be. And it just, it first reminds you of those times back in the day before cell phones, when you had to like make a meeting spot you know we just had jack's graduation and jenny's mom and dad were like well where are we meeting him afterwards and i was like well we're just gonna call him <laughs> we're just gonna tell him she's like oh yeah that's true because you know beforehand you used to have to say like oh 
hey, meet me over by the tennis courts, like right on the edge of them. That's where we'll meet after like the crowd and stuff like that. That's where we're going to go. And it reminds me of this story that this lady told me one time where she was tucking in her little boy into bed and just little. And you know how kids are when at nighttime they just come up with the cutest and sometimes most random questions. And and he said, hey, mom, when we die, how are we going to find each other in heaven? And she kind of um, was taken off guard, you know, because she wasn't expecting that question. And she sort of thought, um, was kind of fumbling through her thoughts a little bit. And then he said, never mind. I know. Uh, let's meet at Jesus. And, or he said the line, I'll meet you at Jesus. And uh, she walked out of there and and she said, I thought about that line and, and what that means and, and what it means for all disciples to meet together at Jesus. That, you know, if you're the ones that are the worshiping type, meet at Jesus. But if you're in a place of doubt or weeping or whatever, the answer is still the same for every, for all of us. Just meet at Jesus. That's the, that's the spot. He has an appointed spot or rather we'd say there's an appointed person for all of us to meet at yeah which i love so much and i love when matthew says um here's what you're going to do until that time when we all meet together we we went to adam on diamond with some friends and while we were there recording we were like okay when it's the second coming if by chance all of us are here go to the walnut grove come to this tree. There could be <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people here. This is our tree. This is the meeting place. But until then, go and live your life. And I love that Matthew is kind of that same way that he's like, here's what you're going to do now. Teach. Go, therefore, and teach all nations and baptize. That's the call. Until we all meet at Jesus again, that's what you should do. And you love that the footnote there for that word teach is, um, the great translation is preach to or make disciples Mm. of. And I love that thought that he's like, Matthew's call is, okay, from now until we meet at Jesus, you just teach as many people as you can and make as many disciples as you can. That's what you're trying to do. Okay. The Mark one is fun. We have two of them actually, because there are some like early manuscripts of the book of Mark that end on verse eight. And then there's some that go all the way to 20. And so New Testament scholars go back and forth on whether the second part was just added from borrowed from Matthew, or did it really end here? But we're just going to say, who knows? Both are fun. And the first one would have ended like this. And they went out quickly. This is after the, the, the tomb and fled from the sepulcher for they trembled and were amazed Neither said they anything to any man for, and that's the word that it ends on. It ends like with a dot, dot, dot (laughs) is how the early manuscripts of Mark ended. And like you, when you read the book of Mark, it was supposed to be read out loud in one sitting. And so you were there and you kind of followed along the whole thing. And all of a sudden it gets to, they saw him at the sepulcher and it says they were amazed and they didn't say anything to anyone for. And then the person reading would sit down. And everyone's like, what? (laughs) You know? And they're just like, wait, who's supposed to? And Mark was a writer. He was a genius in his writing because the intention of it was for him to just say, you've got to tell the story. Like it ended on a dot, 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 almost as if a passing of a baton. Now you be a witness and you go finish the story. Go tell people that he uh, once was dead, but lives again. Go tell people the miracles aren't ceased and you're the one who's supposed to go forward and, and do that. Which is so awesome. And then in verse 20, the, the ending of, you know, what you have in your book right here says, and they went forth, maybe talking about us, and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. 
that that you as you go forward and continue the story, the Lord's gonna work with you and 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 the miracles are are gonna confirm what it, you know, the message. Which you love. In Luke, I love this part. It's so awesome. We get to Luke 24, and it's gonna be um verse 50. He led them out as far as to Bethany, and then he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And this is gonna be the ascension. We don't spend a lot of time studying the ascension. And I think it's so important for us to realize that, um, and we learn this in the Book of Mormon, we learn this from Nephi, and, and we hear it when we read about Luke 2, um, the condescension about God coming down to meet us where we are, as we are in this place. But it's also important for us to remember there was an ascension as well. It was the Lord going back so that he could lift us up to where he is as he is. And, and there's so many important lessons in that final moment as he gets ready to go. And don't you just wish you could sit on the hill and listen to him say, okay, these are my final instructions mm -hmm. to you. And then at the very end, when it says, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Um, a Bible scholar once told us that would have been like the priestly blessing. That would have been that blessing in number six, 24 through 27, that happens to be one of our very favorite parts of the Old Testament. Um, and, that, and that blessing says, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you um, and bring you peace. And I just love that thought that maybe he stood there and, and he was like, I will bless you and I will keep you and I will be gracious to you and I will give you peace, that blessing that you just want to hold on to. And then it tells us um, after he was gone that they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. And, and we love that his call out to us was he will continue to bless you and go forward with joy and be in the temple and remember the covenant clear back from numbers six. Um, we are not only children of a father and mother in heaven who love us of these heavenly parents that love us, but we are also children of the covenant. That's who we are. And we qualify for this covenant blessing um, that was talked about so often at the beginning of the Old Testament, but even still now that covenant blessing that that he will watch over us and keep us and be with us and bring us home again. And part of that happens in the temple. And I love that Luke is like, don't forget the importance of being continually in the temple. Don't forget, because that's where we learn about heaven and what heaven looks like. But it's also learn how we become those priests and priestesses and and we grow into what that looks like i love that call yeah um and then this last one in john 21 where he just says at the very end john says this is the disciple which testifieth of these things and that's really cool because we actually you know all of these stories come from eyewitness accounts like people are just like i was there i saw them and then he says, and I wrote these things and I know that they're true. And then says this, and there are also many other things which Jesus did. The which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And um, 
We have a friend, Michael Wilcox, who was reading this verse one time and just said, every time I read that verse 25, I think, oh, just give me one more story Mm. of Jesus. Give me one more personal encounter. Show me that tender heart one other time. Give me one more sinner brought into the temple, one more blind person yearning. Just all those stories that have just been so touching and, and so sweet to read and have really showed us what his heart and character are like. like give, me, give me these books. Like I want every single one of the books of all of the things that, that he did because every single one of those stories wins me over to him and, uh, and they give me hope. And they give me encouragement to continue on in, in my journey. And I think that when he says this 25, it's almost also an invitation. Mm. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So write them. And, and I think those stories are ours now to tell. Yeah. Let's, let's fill too. the books, right, of the Don't stories you of Jesus. Can you imagine that there will be a day when we will all sit around and and we'll remember these. Remember that Remember that one time when that lady reached out and touched his robe and she was healed immediately? Remember that one time when Peter walked on water? Do you remember that one time, you know, when everyone's talking about that? And I will say, I remember that one time when he showed up in my room in Draper, Utah. And you'll be like, oh, I remember that one time when this. And each one of us could write. I mean, this is just someone's. Remember that one time story. Right. That's what right. it is. Um, and we all could add to this. And I love that John invites us to. He's like, write your story, put it in here. What's your evidence of him? What's your encounter with him? What did that look like? Like fill the books yeah. with all of those. And, and our page in the journal, the work page that I think would be so awesome on your own with your family or a class or something like that is two part. And the one is look over the gospels and what was your favorite story? Like what, what's the one that just like, if you had to pick one and people will want to pick three and they can, and that's fine. Right. But what was the one story that's there? And then now, right. Where is he showing up in, in your story? If you could add to the books, if you could add your story, um, which story would you add into that as, as well? And, and people can keep them to themselves if they want or have a chance to maybe share some of them. You can just pick any way that that you'd want to that you'd want to do that. And I think that it's just so awesome for Jesus to before he flies up into heaven, he promises them, blesses them, and then he just says, Now go tell the world about me. Go tell them what they can experience in relationship with me. Go tell them the kind of life that they can live, because he promises a life that's lived to the fullness. And and we're going to get to watch that happen um, in their lives when you start the book of Acts. But it, it'll be much more thrilling to see that that same Jesus and those miracles playing out in in our in our own lives and stories. Yeah. So we're so, excited. So many good things. See you next week. The book of Acts. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.